Bobby, I want to be the first one to tell you this. I know there are rumors out there about James Harden wanting to join a super team, but I want you to know your spot on this super team on Chatter Up is safe. James Harden will not be joining the Chatter Up podcast as a host. The fact that you even have to address that leads me to believe that if the right offer came around from, let's say, oh, I don't know, LeBron James, that he's taking his talents to Chatter Up, that you might take that offer. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that there haven't been talks, but Bobby, your spot is safe. But let's move on to the real stuff. We've got a ton to cover in this week's episode of Chatter Up, where, of course, we'll hit on the biggest sports stories of what did I miss, including the big NFL games, the NBA trade rumors, Major League Baseball's award season, and Dustin Johnson's dominance of the Masters. We'll play a really fun edition of trivia, and we've got a great interview talking some hot stove Mets baseball, my favorite, with Justin Toscano of the record. Bobby, tell the people where they can get in touch with us. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You have Instagram? Because I have Instagram. You can follow us at, at chatter underscore up. And if you don't and you follow Twitter with the NBA rumor mill, go ahead and follow us there as well, at chatter underscore up. Send us an email with any of your thoughts or concerns at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, give us a rating and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is enormous for us. We are really grateful to you. Five stars. You will not regret it. Jared? I think it's that time. Are you ready? Do it, do it, do it. Then let's do this and let's chatter up. So, Jared, week 10 of the NFL has come to a close. Baseball gave out some hardware. The NBA rumor mill is as hot as it's ever been. And we had somebody dominate a sport, something like we haven't seen in a long time. Feels like I missed a lot this week. Jared, what did we miss? If you had your TV off this week, you missed a hell of a lot. Let's start in the NFL with what was unquestionably the best game of the week, Bobby. Did you happen to see the end of the Cardinals-Bills game? I absolutely saw the end of the Cards-Bills game. What's crazy is that I actually didn't see the entire game, but I only saw the end. Could you do, could you do a quick recap of what happened? Well, we got the full Josh Allen experience. He catches a touchdown on the first drive. He throws a couple interceptions. Could have been five. It was only two. Throws what looks to be a game-winning touchdown to Stefan Diggs with about 30 seconds to go. Looks like the game's over. The Cardinals get the ball back and convert a miraculous Hail Mary as time expires from about the 50-yard line. Kyler Murray rolling out to his left, just flings it to the end zone, and somehow DeAndre Hopkins, surrounded by three Buffalo Bills defenders, comes down with the ball for the walk-off touchdown. What was more impressive to you, Bobby, the throw or the catch? It's so hard because I think the obvious answer is the catch, right? Because, like, anybody can throw it into the end zone. And DeAndre Hopkins had, I think, what, three defenders around him and somehow came down with that ball, which is just – and it wasn't a tip, right? He just, like, grabbed it and held it, which is ridiculous. But I think there's a lot of credit that has to go to Kyler Murray here. The guy scrambles out of the pocket, was nearly sacked. I mean, like, inches. Chucks it up there and – throws what really was the only throw that he could have made that got him the win. Just 50-50, really. Yeah, you're 100% right. The throw is being underrated because of how great the catch was. You're right. I mean, running to his left and just flinging it in the perfect spot on a line, but it's hard to beat that catch. I mean, I've watched it like 30 times. I still have no idea how Hopkins came down with the ball. It's really unbelievable, which is now, which has now left the NFC West in this 
crazy situation where I don't really know who's going to win, right? We have the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Seahawks all vying for this. I don't know. It's, are, they, are they three really great teams that are just beating up on each other or are these three, like, highly mediocre teams that I don't know who's going to win? Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about the putrid NFC East on this podcast, and we have not given enough time to what it looked to be the best division in the NFL, the NFC West. You now have three, six, and four teams. Each of them you can make a case for as the team that maybe with the best shots come out of the NFC. And even the 49ers at four and six in fourth place in the division, like that's not your typical last place team. And so I think it makes for a really fun last six games here to see which of those teams is actually going to come out of the NFC West. Who you got? Pick one. Who's your division winner? It's so tough. To me, you just have to go by the quarterbacks right now. That's what the sport is because each team has its flaws. And if I'm ranking quarterbacks, it's Wilson, Murray, Goff. For that reason, I have to go with the Seahawks. It's so hard for me to bet against Arizona right now. I think Arizona has the better defense than Seattle. Seattle's defense is Swiss Swiss cheese out there. And Kyler Murray is playing right now in the last, at least the last couple games, better than Russell Wilson. Is he better than Russell Wilson? No. I'm not going to go and say that. Is Russell Wilson an MVP candidate and maybe the MVP? Yes. But you're telling me right now who's going to win that division? The Cardinals are as hot as anybody, and they just beat a really good Bills team. I'm taking the Cardinals. So you won't say that Kyler Murray is better than Russell Wilson, but you did say that Kyler Murray is better than Lamar Jackson. And you know what, Bobby? Between last night's Kyler Murray performance against the Bills and last night's Lamar Jackson dud against the Pats it doesn't look so crazy anymore so Bobby where are you right now with the Ravens it's hard to even call them the third best team in the AFC which is wild because we spoke about at the beginning of this year how the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl and the only contention that anyone was going to get in either conference was in their conference with the Ravens and now it's clear that Pittsburgh and Kansas City are ahead of them and then maybe like I don't know Buffalo in the AFC Maybe Tennessee. Maybe Tennessee. Miami's clearly on a hot streak. It's hard for me to get behind this team right now. You know, you'd think that they have a great defense and they could do it, but they gave up 21-plus points to a terrible New England team. They're not good. They're 4-5 and and could have and should have lost to the Jets. They're disappointing, and I don't think they deserve to be in the conversation for Super Bowl contenders, right? At this point, I'd have to agree with you. They don't look like the same team as last year. And it's weird because it feels like they're so dependent on their defense, which is crazy because they have the reigning MVP coming into the year. We'd say this guy is one of the, what, five best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's still, he's playing well, but not as well as he was last year. And they just have a hard cap because it's like, if they fall behind by 10 points, it's a completely different offense because you're just not afraid of them when they're down 10 points, right? Like, The Chiefs could be down, what, 50 points before you feel like you're safe with the lead. The Ravens, it's like you get up two touchdowns, you're like, okay, I feel like pretty good about it. It's unbelievable and and just really, really surprising. And listen, quarterbacks have played better than Lamar and have gotten benched. For example, take a look at Miami. And while we're on the subject, let's talk about Miami. Miami with Tua is now 6-3. and and 6-3. Jared, is this really a team that can win the AFC East? Can they? Yes. They, I mean, it's incredible. Tua's looked awesome the last two weeks. Brian Flores is 
up there with Mike Tomlin as you know, the front runners for coach of the year. It's amazing how quickly they've gotten this turned around. And I'm frankly, as a Jet fan, it gives me a glimmer of hope because it was like pretty much what the first three, four games of last season that we were saying, is Miami the worst football team ever? And here we are not even two years later and they're six and three with a legitimate chance to win the AFC East. Would I put them as the favorite to do so? No, I'd still put Buffalo ahead of them. I think Miami's probably, this is just a year early for them, but they are going to be scary next year and moving forward. If Tua shows that he's the real deal, because I think they have the coach in place, looks like they've created an environment where they can develop talent. And so as a Jeff fan, I'm, I'm scared for the next 10, 15 years. I understand that you're saying they're a year early, but should Miami make the playoffs? That's not a team that you want to see in the first round. They are dangerous, and their defense their defense looks pretty good. And if Tua winds up being the real deal, like he seems like he is, it wouldn't shock me that they made a run a la 2015 Mets, weren't supposed to compete that year, and somehow made a run because the talent was there early. The talent might be here early for Miami. Are they going to compete with the Chiefs? No. But if they went up against the Chiefs, I don't think it would be a blowout. Yeah, it could be. It reminds me a little bit of like Russell Wilson's rookie year where the Seahawks kind of came out of nowhere and they, they had a nice little run in the playoffs. I think they lost to Atlanta in the second round, mm-hmm. but like they put up a real fight and everyone coming out of that season was like, damn, Seattle's here to stay. And they were. And, and we could see a very similar thing with the Dolphins this year and moving forward. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Bobby, the Philadelphia Eagles look like they are heading in the wrong direction. Another disappointing loss to the Giants yesterday only feeding into the controversy that erupted last week when Brett Favre went on national television and said the Eagles made a mistake keeping Carson Wentz over former Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Bobby, are you willing to disagree, put your name out there, against one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL and tell him he's wrong? Brett Favre is old, washed up, retired, and needs to stay in his damn lane. That is ridiculous. I won't give any more than 15 seconds to this. Brett Favre is wrong, and that comment is stupid. By no means should they have kept Nick Foles over Carson Wentz. Done. Well, I guess Bobby will not be buying Wrangler jeans anytime in the future. Sorry, Brett Favre. Boycotting the company, 100% not buying them anymore. However, speaking of buyers, let's shift gears, Jared. One of the all-time great point guards, Chris Paul is now a Phoenix Sun. Is this a good trade for both sides? And is this Chris Paul's final chance at a championship? I don't think he actually has a chance at a championship with this move. I like it for the Suns in the sense that I think they saw what he did with OKC last year. They're in a similar situation, right? Like, they've got a lot of young players. They have a young stud in Devin Booker, another guy in DeAndre Ayton that looks like he can be a young stud. And they want to be relevant. It's been so long for the Suns since, like, they were actually a relevant NBA franchise. And so I think they, they look at what Chris Paul did with OKC last year, playing really well and, and helping to mature those young guys and turning them into a playoff team. And I think the Suns have a chance to do that. Do they have a chance to actually win a championship? No. And what a strange career it is for Chris Paul. You're right. He is one of the all-time great point guards. There's no question about it. And yet this is what the fourth time in his career he's been traded. It's not something you see a lot from all-time great players. And that's not to diminish him in any way, but it's just kind of crazy now that he's now being traded again in what looks like the twilight of his career, but the guy can still play. So props to the Suns for trying to be relevant again. And the Thunder just do what the Thunder do and take 
distressed assets from other teams, rehabilitate them, and turn them into first-round picks. Two points that I'll make about this quickly. Number one, Sam Presti doing his thing again, which is why we chose him before as being better than Daryl Morey. He just is collecting what will hopefully wind up being a championship team through the draft. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. He'll have to hit on some of them. Number two, you're telling me that if everything breaks right for the Suns, Booker's an all-star, Paul's an all-star, Aiton winds up being an all-star, you don't think if everything breaks right, there's a chance they could pull this out? No, no chance. Do you put them up there with the Lakers? Do you put them up there with the Clippers? Do you put them up there with the Nuggets? It's like just those three teams alone are, to me, right now, head and shoulders above Phoenix. I think Phoenix is going to be fun. Phoenix, like I said, they'll be relevant. They'll probably be a playoff team. They'll be a fun watch like OKC was last year. But did you think of OKC as a legitimate championship contender last year? And, like, they had, you know, Shea Gilders-Alexander was he, – he's not as good as Devin Booker, but – they had a bunch of good players on that team. They'll be fun, but they're not a championship contender. Speaking of Chris Paul, Bobby, his former team, the Houston Rockets, are a center of turmoil right now with rumors swirling around. Last week, it was Russell Westbrook, we found out, wanting to leave Houston. Now we find out it's James Harden as well looking to leave Houston, and it sounds like he is trying to force his way to the Brooklyn Nets. Bobby, if James Harden gets to the Brooklyn Nets – do we just call it a wrap this season and say the Nets are the 2021 NBA champs? Absolutely not. No way. Are they the most talented team on paper? Even then, like, there's probably a question, but I, I think they're probably the favorites. The question is, you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, who are arguably the biggest ball hogs in the NBA, all on the same team. Who's going to give the ball up? Who's going to take a step back? Kyrie? I mean, it's not going to happen. So I think on talent alone, they make the playoffs. They're a high seed, and I think they compete. Could this be another, like, Clippers situation where it just doesn't come together? Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, if I'm James Harden, I'm trying to get to Philly, not to Brooklyn. I mean, I, I understand why you'd want to play there, but you're 100% right. There's, there's only one ball, and there's so many mouths to feed with those three guys. And look, I'll be the first to admit, I was wrong. When the Rockets traded for Chris Paul, when they had Harden already, I was like, this isn't going to work because these two guys are super ball dominant. They need the ball in their hands to be successful. I don't see how it's going to work. And it did work. They went to game seven against the Warriors, and they were a Chris Paul injury away from going to the finals, probably winning the finals. And I know James Harden earlier in his career with the Thunder was kind of like the facilitator. You know, he played with Westbrook and Durant at the time, and he was clearly the third banana, and it worked. But that was a different James Harden. You know, we're talking about a guy who's years removed from that, who's used to having the ball in his hands constantly. Am I saying it can't work? No, because, you know, you're always going to bet on talent. And those three are three of the 10 most talented players in the NBA. Three of the, probably three of the 10 best. But I don't know, man. It's, it seems like such a combustible situation for that to happen. We know Kyrie and KD are not the easiest guys in the world to play with. They've got, I'll just call it, unique personalities. And so it could really blow up in their face. I, I, if I'm Harden, I'm trying to get to Philly. Jared, let's shift gears here quickly. Baseball is over. They gave out the hardware. Abreu and Freeman were AL and National League MVPs. Bauer and Bieber, Cy Youngs, Mattingly and Cash, Managers of the Year. One guy, Jared, biggest takeaway from awards night. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, to me, has long been the most underrated player in baseball. He is just good at everything. He seems like a good dude. 
And it's time. I, I'm glad Freddie Freeman finally got his due. It pains me as a Met fan because he's killed us all the time, but he's a beast. And it's just time to appreciate Freddie Freeman. The other big storyline in baseball this week was Kim Ang breaking the glass ceiling, the first female general manager in Major League Baseball history. Pretty cool to see, no, Bobby? Absolutely massive deal. Really, this is enormous for baseball because what it does is it sets the stage for so many other opportunities. I think it's only a matter of time till we see a woman on the bench managing a team. I think this is awesome. I think it's great and huge props to Kim Ng. And finally, Jared, Sunday marked the end of the long-anticipated Masters in Augusta, Georgia in what was a completely non-competitive four rounds where Dustin Johnson finishes 20 under par. Thoughts on the historic four-round score for Dustin Johnson? Yeah, it's pretty cool to see Dustin Johnson just dominate the field. I mean, it's rare that you see that in any sport. A guy just head and shoulders better than, than anybody else, and he was for four days. I had fun watching Bryson DeChambeau lose balls. And, you know, after all the talk coming into the, ma- the major about how Augusta was like a 67 par for him, to see it get f- – flip back in his face like that was was pretty fun but props to Justin Johnson all right Bobby I know it feels like the baseball season just ended but that means that the hot stove is starting to crackle especially here in New York in Queens and so we're going to bring in right now Justin Toscano he is the Mets beat writer for the record in NorthJersey.com which is part of the USA Today Network Justin is originally from the most beautiful city in the country San Diego California true He's an Arizona State grad, and you can find him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Justin, how are you, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, new, new era in Queens, right? It's a um, little, little bit of rejuvenation in the fan base, so it's, it's been fun, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, this is, as someone who's grown up a Met fan for so long, this is such a different feeling than, than we're used to going into the offseason. Tuesday was the first time we got to hear from Steve Cohen in, well, I don't know about in person, but we got to hear directly from the horse's mouth. What were your initial impressions coming out of the, the press conference, and, and did they line up with any preconceived notions you might have had? I think I've always thought he's pretty, pretty measured. I know he's the richest owner in Major League Baseball now, but I always thought that he would have a certain measure because you have to to, to run businesses as, as successfully as he has. And so my main takeaway might have been the quote where he said, I promise you we will act like a major market team because we're in a major market, but we're not going to spend like drunken sailors. And I think that is kind of the key there because, look, you can buy, 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 but that, that's only going to get you so far. And, and, and they want to build a sustained kind of contender. I think he said, you know, we don't want to be good once every few years and then be bad for three or four years. And I think – That was my main takeaway, but seemed genuine. Like, I think a lot of times in press conferences, you have a tendency to hear juicy quotes, a lot of buzzwords, things you you don't even know what they mean, and and you don't really get any substance. But I think we did get a a lot of substance, especially because a lot of these people, owners especially, are very wary of placing expectations and goals on, on themselves, at least directly, you know, to the public, to the media, to the fans. But Steve Cohen, not, not holding back, saying that it'd be disappointing if they didn't win one within the next three to five years or sooner. So I think in terms of a press conference, I thought it was as substantive as you could hope to get. 
I want to jump on that quote that he said that he would be slightly disappointed if he didn't win a World Series in three to five years. Is there any feeling that he's almost setting himself up for failure by saying that, or is that just part of the game? Oh, absolutely. There's definitely – I don't think he's setting himself up for failure in the sense that, like, I think they can do it. I think it's possible, especially with the core that they have now and with his resources, his money, they should be able to spend more to, to fill the holes easier than, than you could under the will ponds. But look, <laughs> anytime you say something like that, you're putting a target on your back. You know, you're setting the, you're setting the clock. The clock started on Wednesday, man, like three to five years. And it's, it's tough. Like, I think we always say it, that in baseball, it's so fluky, man. Like, injuries underperformances overperformances you just don't know it's not like you're running an nba team where it's like okay we signed lebron james traded for anthony davis uh we'll get a couple free agents here and there and hey we're in the finals chance to win you know you've got the best player in the league doesn't work that way jacob Degrom's probably the best pitcher in the league but look you've got to have a lot of components around that so when i heard that i was pretty floored not because i think they can't do it but because I think it is just so hard in baseball that so many people in Steve Cohen's position shy away from really saying things like that. I thought it was great that he said it personally. And I mean, obviously, you don't have to worry about him holding himself accountable because that one is that one is out there. That will be I'll guarantee you that clip will be played all throughout the NL East in six years if the Mets have not won a title by then. So I think Setting yourself up for failure a little bit, but I, I do think they can accomplish it because I mean they're young. They've got a young core of position players, and I think they're better offensively than they really showed in 2020. A lot of the metrics say that they're a lot that they are a lot better than they fared run scoring wise. But look, I mean, if you fill the rotation a little bit, shore up the bullpen. I mean, I think they should resign somebody like Justin Wilson and then then go from there. I, I don't think it's a bad team. It heavily underperformed in 2020 due to opt-outs, injuries, things like that too. But it's like, I mean, I think this is a very good start for Steve Cohn and Sandy Alderson. Yeah, I think Brody Van Wagen would probably be the first person to tell you that you can say something at a press conference that comes back to haunt you, yeah. which is really what surprised me a little bit about when Cohen said that. But listen, I'd oh, yeah. love to hear it. But I think, Justin, there's a, there's a widespread belief among a lot of Mets fans and people, it seems like, around baseball that, the Mets are destined to sign at least one of those big three, I'll call them free agents of George Springer, JT Ramuto, Trevor Bauer. Sandy Alderson called you up tomorrow and said, Justin, of those three guys who should be our first priority, who would you go with? I'm going Trevor Bauer. I love watching George Springer play. I would love to watch him play in Queens on a daily basis. I think he's amazing. Same with Rio Muto. Like I always love those Philly series because I just – I think he does such a great job on, on both sides of the chalk that it's, it's really impressive, especially when you were comparing it to what the Mets had behind the plate the last few years. And, and so those two are great, but I think for this team, you go Trevor Bauer. I mean, because you look at Washington last year, and then you look at the Dodgers this year. The Dodgers had such a big advantage on people just by virtue of not having to go bullpen games from games like three to seven. They had more, you know, they had two, three, actual good starters and and same with Washington last year and and you see how these teams are built to to win the World Series I think your best shot if you're the Mets at winning a World Series is you put Jacob deGrom Trevor Bauer Marcus Stroman in a rotation and then you see what you get also from Noah Syndergaard who's supposed to return at some point I think that's your best path to contention because with the offense the way it is 
Is center field the need? Yes. Is it a bigger need than the rotation? Absolutely not. And I would say the same of, of catcher. I think you can get a good catcher. I mean, James McCann is out there. Obviously, we've seen reports of the Mets having reached out to Yachty. So you can get a serviceable catcher, but I think you have to shore up that rotation and you have to do it. If you're going to make your splash, do it there. Because if you can line up DeGrom, Bauer, Stroman for, you know, a playoff series, I think your offense at that point should only have to score three, four, five runs to win. And I think this team is very well set up to succeed if it has a rotation it can count on. Who are some of the other free agents outside of those big three? Because like free agency seems to be centered around those big three. But are there other free agents outside of them that you think would be good fits for the Mets moving forward into 2021? Yeah, so I just mentioned it, but James McCann, I mean, had a pretty good 2020. And the metrics, especially defensively, don't shine too poorly on him. So I think he would be a good option for them behind the plate. Starting pitching-wise, like, look, even if they got Bauer, I mean, you might still want to look at adding another starter. I mean, they probably wouldn't. But I think if you don't get Bauer, you go after somebody like Charlie Morton, a proven starter like that. I mean, even like Tanaka from the Yankees. I mean, even he could be a guy they look at. I mean, people have mentioned – I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, you could sign James Paxton and he could be at the back end of your rotation. As long as he's at the back end of your rotation, that's not – an issue. So you've got some back-end guys like that. Jackie Bradley Jr., obviously, if you wanted to improve center field, I think that would be a way to go if you thought that was a, bit, a big enough need, if you needed to improve defensively enough there and, you know, push him into the one of the corners that throws a log jam into the entire roster. That's a whole different conversation. But yeah, so those are some of the guys I would be focused on. And then you have the the trade candidates like the Francisco Lindor talk and what they could do there. And it it really gets interesting, guys, because I think they should sign one of those big three. If they do, you know, you've got some solid options in the other ones too, um, and then the lower tier free agents, but it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting market because as we've seen, teams have have kind of cried poor throughout right. this pandemic and the Mets could really take advantage, as Steve Cohen mentioned, that they, that they probably might when things go down. Yeah, you mentioned Lindor there, and his name has obviously been thrown around a lot. It looks like Cleveland is probably going to trade him this offseason somewhere. If the Mets do sign one of those big three guys, let's say bring in a couple of other complimentary free agent pieces, do you think a move for Lindor is, is really on the table? And if so, what do you think is a realistic package that they could be looking to send back to Cleveland? Yeah, that's tough because if you sign, say, a Trevor Bauer, you get some star power, you add a few more pieces, you've got a great team. Because I think in itself, with a great team around them, the Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Platoon, or whoever starts, I don't think that's a bad option. But if you're looking to go big, and they said they would shop in the gourmet aisle a little bit, they said they would be bold, they said they wanted to be iconic, they said they wanted to write an epic story, can you say no to a superstar? And I don't think you can. So package-wise, if they sign one of the big three, I don't think they would also trade for Lindor. But signing one of the big three doesn't mean they, they shouldn't look at it very heavily. And I think the package, I mean, I think you would have to see Rosario or Jimenez going over. And then, I mean, it's going to take – I would think it's going to take a couple good prospects. I mean, I don't know – untouchables why it's so hard to know who the untouchables are in that system just because 
the best prospects in their system are all in the low minors. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, are any of them, you know, untouchable? I mean, would they send somebody like, like Beatty over? I don't think Mauricio would, would be on the table. Um, same with Allen. I don't think Allen or Alvarez, because they haven't, especially Alvarez, I mean, they haven't developed a homegrown catcher in God who knows how long. But it would take some prospects. I don't think it would be as robust as a lot of people think, though, just by virtue of look what happened with Mookie Betts. You know, they weren't going to sign him. And the Dodgers clearly took advantage of the fact that they knew the Red Sox were just looking to get something. So I think you're looking at Andres Jimenez or, you know, Amedo Rosario, probably a J.D. Davis. I saw Jeff McNeil's name thrown around in there. I don't know. I mean, he's better than your typical utility, super utility guy, but I'm not sure if he would be included. So I would say Andres Jimenez or Ahmed Rosario, maybe J.D. Davis. I mean, he's a guy whose name has been thrown around, God, really since he got traded here. And then you're going to have to, a, a good prospect or two, at least, I think is going to, is going to be what it takes because I think there's going to be other teams in on him, especially because teams might be more willing to trade with how, you know, how much they're not as willing to spend this winter, if that makes sense. Justin, you talked about the pandemic and you touched on it briefly just to say how it affected the spending habits. And I, mm -hmm. I just want to touch on that very briefly. As a sports writer, I imagine that it was a very different season for you covering the Mets and covering baseball in such a, I mean, I guess once in a lifetime kind of season, how much more difficult was it for you to do your job without actually being at the ballpark because of the situation going on? Yeah, yeah, it was tough. So we were, at, I was at the ballpark and, and traveled to everywhere but Miami and Atlanta. So that was good because I was able to go. But it's like, man, when you're doing these Zooms without the clubhouse access, it's really stripped down. I think the job gets way tougher because everybody's got the same quotes. Uh, you can't really, no, no real one-on-one -on -one time, which severely limits your time to get to know these guys. Not only get to know them, but get to know some of the inside stories going on, you know, with the team and then some of the trends and be able to explain those and do like features. I mean, you couldn't really do those this year because you just couldn't really, you couldn't get in the clubhouse. And so it, it makes it a lot more difficult, especially because you're getting to the ballpark, you're setting your stuff up, you're hopping on a Zoom. It's so like, it's just the same stuff every day. And the Zoom stuff was, let's just say, none of us want that to last. Um, <laughs> and hope, I don't think it will, but my fingers crossed, knock on wood. But it is really tough because then you don't have fans in the ballpark. So then it's like, it's really hard because when you're covering the team, it's like, okay, for big fans, it's like I try to go out and give my best every single day because it's like people still care about the team. Sports are an escape for people. But then you have the other side of the coin where some people are like, eh, I just don't care about this season. And it, and it is, it's tough not to see their point because it's like, I get it. There's so much else going on in the world that like a 60 game season, baseball during a pandemic, like what does it all mean? Especially because You've got so many guys underperforming who would usually be better. You've got so many guys overperforming who would usually be worse. So it's tough to evaluate. And so it's really tough. And especially when there were COVID outbreaks with some teams, like you question the futility of it all. Like, is it, is it kind of all worth it? You're just like, it's kind of a little dumb season. But on the other hand, it was good to, I mean, God, I'm so grateful to still have a job. Like I know so many people, you know, can't say as much. And it was fun being back out there at least to get an escape from 
just having to, to sit in our homes and, and whatnot and hope, you know, hopefully provided some happiness to, to some people, you know, throughout a pretty tough year. Last one I got for you, Justin. I know it feels like it was a million years ago at this point, but it's actually, it's about <laughs> a year now that the Mets hired Carlos Beltran and, and shortly after got rid of him. Now we've seen A.J. Hinch is back in baseball. Alex Cora is back in his exact job that he lost a year ago. Do you think there's a chance that Carlos Beltran finds himself back in baseball in, in some capacity in the near future, whether that's with the Mets in, in some role or, or with somebody else? If he wants to be, yeah. I think if he wants to be back in baseball, there's no reason he shouldn't be. Look, if Cora and Hinch got managing jobs, again, there's no reason that Carlos Beltran shouldn't at least get a coaching position somewhere or a position in an organization, even an advisor role or an assistant role like he had had, you know, with the, you know, with Cashman before taking the, the Mets job. His one indictment was just that he was the only player named. And so like the Mets had to do what they had to do. I thought they did make the right decision because you couldn't, well, I mean, God, I guess with the pandemic, maybe they could have afforded to yeah. him because that storyline kind of did go away because of the mm -hmm. pandemic. With what they knew at the time, they made the right decision. But I think, look, he's, he's done his time. There were so many more people at, at fault there helping and, and making it, you know, not, not stopping it, that I don't think Carlos Beltran should be banned, you know, effectively banned from baseball. I think if he wants to be, he'll, he'll be back. And I think there will be a position open for him, whether it be with the Mets or, or elsewhere. I think he's, he's such a good baseball mind. And it has really been that way. You've heard that about him for his, through his entire playing career, too, that he was, that there will be, be somewhere for him. Justin, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate you coming on with us. You can find him on Twitter, at Justin C. Toscano. If you're a Mets fan, it's a must-follow. There's no way around it. And hopefully things are back to normal for, uh, for next season. you got an exciting Mets team to cover. Knock on wood on those. I guess we'll, yeah, we'll have to revisit those. Hopefully they're back to normal, but... Looks like the sun's coming up on the Mets again. So, you know, you guys should have a pretty fun time watching this team. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just looking forward to it. It's been a while since we could say that. So, <laughs> Well, cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, it's about that time, Jared. It's about that time where I finally show up for good. I am here, and I am ready to take back the crown of trivia champion after weeks of disappointment and dismay. Are you ready to concede before we start? I'm not going to do that because uh, this, this is just too big. I mean, this is going to cement our weekends. We're both going to lose in fantasy football. So one of us is going to be a total loser today. One of us will have something to smile about. And so I'm not going to just concede here at the out front. All right. Well, then we will, we will play this out. As we welcome in our quiz master, Jeremy Tuck. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm also losing in fantasy, as far as I know. Uh, oh, for three here in, in, the, in, the, in the room. This is rough. Yeah, I know. This is why we don't give out fantasy advice. <laughs> <laughs> I was never brought on for fantasy advice anywhere in any sport. <laughs> all right. Well, then that's... Uh... Let's get into this, right? Let's dive into this. Okay, so this is a brand new quiz. I have no idea how it's going to work, but let's hope for the best. And we can make up the rules up as we go along. I'm sure we'll figure some kinks out. Um, have you guys ever heard of the theory called the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? 
I have. I have. You have not? I have not. Jared has. Uh, so basically, the, the idea is that you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. Okay. For example, I have a friend whose cousin is married to Daniel Craig or something like that, and that's got to be two degrees away from Kevin Bacon at the most. Interesting. So, okay. 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 So with that being said, we're going to play a game called the Six Degrees of Johnny Damon. <laughs> so each of you guys are going to give me a player and you have to get that player to be at least six degrees through teammates away from Johnny Damon. So that Johnny Damon would be a teammate of a teammate of a teammate of a teammate. Try and get to six for every t link under six, you lose a point for every link over six, you gain a point. And if you get it on the nose six, you get zero points. Wow, this is this is tough. wild. My my mind is already spinning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I don't know how it's gonna go. You can't repeat players, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's just hope it goes well. I have no idea how it's gonna go. I feel like this is gonna be a bit of a crapshoot. There's definitely a chance for some drama. Uh, I will tell you, the maximum you can get is three points. Okay. On any round. This could go horribly wrong, but we're just going to run with it. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Yeah, you're right. It still could go horribly wrong, but I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, so we can try. <laughs> we can have some fun. All right. I, uh, okay, let's, let's give this a try. I am going and, and this to... can only go through teammates, right? Yes. Like I can't say this guy, he played on the same team, but at a different time as this guy. You know what I mean? So a link is classified by this guy was a teammate, and then right. through that okay. guy – it's like a pivot point. So for instance, gotcha. Trot Nixon is one degree away from Johnny Damon because they were teammates. Right, right, right Then right. you go okay. with somebody else who was teammates with Trot Nixon in another time, who wasn't teammates with Johnny Damon, mm -hmm. then that's two links. The goal is to get to at least six links. Mm -hmm. Hence the name, Six Degrees of Johnny Damon. I just picked Johnny Damon because it sounded like Kevin Bacon. Yep. This is, I like it. This is wild. Okay, you know what? Here's, here's what we're going to do. I think that I have such a firm grasp on this and know exactly what to do that I'm going to let Jared go first to, you know, try and like wet his whistle and see how this goes. Okay. So Jared, give me a player. Oh, so I, I don't have to go through the whole chain with you here. No, you don't have to go through the whole chain. That would be impossible. But how will, how will you know, how will you figure out how far away? Ah, okay. So what I neglected to tell you, and I was, I meant to say, Baseball Reference has this tool called the Oracle of Baseball under its frivolities index. It's frivolous. That's how you know how deep we're dig digging here. Uh, it tells you the shortest chain between two, two players in baseball history. Gotcha. So I'm not doing any thinking at all here. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I'm just going to okay. admit it's a shortcoming. But I'm not sure it's a shortcoming. Oh, man. There's so much thinking that goes into this. Yeah. Okay, let's try this out. This might be a couple guys away. Jose Mesa. All right, Jose Mesa. Uh, Bobby, give me a player. I'll tell you both at the same time. <laughs> oh, man. The further away from Johnny Damon, the better. Right, so we got to go far away here. Oh, boy. 
Um, and, and I'll tell you how they're connected in between rounds. That's what we're learning about players. We'll hear some names we didn't think we'd ever hear. And that's just going to be fun. Incredible tool that Baseball Reference has. I know, right? I, I was just scanning Baseball Reference. I stumbled across this. I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's see. We can make this a game. So, okay, Bobby. we're going to – okay, let's give this a try. For it. How about Steven Strasburg? Uh, okay. So, Jer- Jared, Jose mm-hmm. Mesa. Um, Jose, okay, Johnny Damon played with Carlos Baerga on the, ni- mm-hmm. on the 2002 Red Sox, who was a teammate of Jose Mesa on the 1996 Indians. That's two degrees. I thought I'd get one more. And that is negative four points. Bobby, Johnny Damon was a teammate on the 2009 Yankees with Mark Melanson, who was teammates on with Steven Strasburg on the 2016 Nationals. Wow. Negative four points to you as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was so, okay. So just just to explain my thinking here, I was going like so. I thought Damon wasn't Damon a teammate with Beltron in Kansas City. Yes, I believe so. There is definitely a possibility. And of that. so I was like, okay, Beltron in Houston. Then I went to Verlander. Then I went to Scherzer. And then I went to Strasburg. You forgot okay. Mark Melanson. I forgot right, Mark Melanson. Right, right. I was I was going for Jose Mesa, teammate of Jim Tomei teammate of Manny Ramirez, teammate of Johnny Damon. Got and it. Everybody, got it, got it. nobody knows who Carlos Baerga is anymore. Right. So I think we both, we all know that this is going to be a little different than what you guys are thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Bobby, uh, you get the first round this time. Uh, you guys are tied after one at negative four and we're off to a flying start. <laughs> Just to be clear, do managers count? It's no. only players. Only players. Only players. I don't think baseball reference has that tool yet. It's like right. very hard to come up with like who you throw out here. It's, it's yeah. almost a bit of a guess here. It's it's crap shooting, but also an yeah. educated crap shoot. Right, right. Because well, you know, meaning because like we both knew we were gonna get some points with that. The question is like it's impossible to anticipate. Right. You know. The, ra- exa- the Carlos Baerga is out there. So if I'm playing this, I have a strategy that I know will work. You guys haven't found it yet. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's see here. Let's try this. How about Ken Griffey Sr.? Uh, okay. Not bad. Jared? Interesting strategy going with dads. I was, you know, I'm going to go Cliff Lee. All right, all right, all right. So, Ken Griffey Sr. Okay. Johnny Damon was a teammate of Tom Browning on the 1995 Kansas City Royals, who was on the same 1989 Cincinnati Reds as Ken Griffey Sr. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) Uh, Minus four. Minus four again. Johnny Damon was teammates on the 2004 Red Sox with Ellis Burks, who was teammates on the 2002 Cleveland Indians as Cliff Lee. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I can come down to who can get that extra link. Yeah, yeah. 
you guys haven't found the strategy yet. No, I thought, I, you know, I thought that was a good one, Bobby. I thought that was smart to go like, all right, God, they're not really the same era. So like maybe that gets you an extra link. I went for like shilling to right. Randy Johnson, to Ken Griffey, to Ken Griffey Sr. Right. Oh man, and okay. Was, and, and there was a big old Tom Browning in the way. Good Lord. All right, Jared, I guess I guess you're up next year. You have negative eight points. Yeah, and I don't have an end to this. We can go as long as we want, but it's up to you guys to call it. Just wanted we'll, to get we'll, into the positives. We'll go yeah. to, we'll get a mercy rule here, so. Okay, um, I mean, now I'm, I'm just, I, I have no conceivable, there's no link here in my head. I'll just throw it out and hope that there's a chain here somewhere and that it yeah. gets me some points. Let's go Tom Seavers. Okay, not bad. Bobby? How about Nolan Reimold? <laughs> <laughs> like, not not uh, the Ryan Express, but the guy on the Orioles. Nolan yeah, Reimold. I haven't heard that name in quite some time. Okay. Oh, God. Jared, you're going to be upset. Johnny Damon was teammates on the 2007 Yankees with Roger Clemens. Oh my! Was somehow God. teammates with Tom Seaver on the '86 Red Sox. Unbelievable! How is that possible? <laughs> I didn't know Seaver was still active and played. Technically, he was against the Mets in the World Series that year. Yeah, I don't know if you. I don't think he was still with the team at the time. Like, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. This is ridiculous. Um, All right. Oh God. Uh, okay. Johnny Damon was teammates on the 2001 A's with Miguel Tejada, who played on the 2010 Orioles with Nolan Reimold. <laughs> I mean... You guys, you guys haven't caught on yet. Wait, 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 wait. I have an idea. I have an idea. Well, you're first, so go ahead. Okay. Okay. I'm just... We're going to see how this goes. Yep. Honus Wagner. Yeah, that's what I was going to do now next. Now we're Something cooking like with that. gas. That's what Now we're cooking do. with gas. Now we're cooking. All right, uh, Jared. I, I see your Honus Wagner, and I raise you a Christy Mathewson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Now we're playing here. So Johnny Damon was teammates with Dennis Rasmussen on the '95 Royals, who was teammates with Tommy John on the '87 Yankees, who played with Early Win on the '63 Indians. Who played with Joe Cool on the 1946 Senators, who was teammates on the 33 Senators with Nick Altrock, who played on the 1898 Louisville Colonels with one Honus Wagner. So, one, two, three. Bobby, you've achieved six. Ah, wow. got to six. And now for Christy Mathewson, could easily be a six also. Johnny Damon was teammates on the 2002 Sox with Ricky Henderson who played with Tommy John on the 86 Yankees. Early win on the 63 Indians, that's three. Pete Appleton mm-hmm. played with early win on the 1939 Senators. Of course, of course. Four. Grover Hartley played with Pete Appleton on the 30 Indians, who played on the 1911 Giants with Christy Mathewson. That's a six. Okay. Wow. Okay, we've wow. broken the code here. Okay. There you go. Now we got some fun here. Who's the oldest player you can think of? Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's, 
I was hoping for it to turn into something like that. Yeah. And I, it worked. Um, we are now tied at negative 12. Um, to be clear, Dustin Johnson hit negative 20 today in the Masters, which is the first time that ever happened and was the only five minutes I tuned in to the Masters this entire weekend. Okay. Um, so, so in honor of that, do we just do whoever hits neck minus 20? Loses. <laughs> whoever, whoever hits minus 20 first loses. Boy, I don't even know, man. So we're starting to get into like 19th century players here that I'm very unfamiliar yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's the hope that Jared is too. Yeah. Let's try. Right. Uh, Jared, you're first on this round. Round five. Let's try. Cy Young. That was going to be mine. That was the exact guy I was going to go with. All right. Pair of Red Sox on this one, actually. Mm-hmm. Johnny Damon and Cy Young. So who knows? Bobby. Yeah, he was the guy I was gonna go with. Um, who goes back there? All right, yeah, this is this isn't as far back as I'd like to go, but we'll we'll go with the great Bambino, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. The great Bambino. You know, I don't know how many other players won World Series with both the Yankees and the Red Sox. Mm. There aren't many. That's a good question. I, Damon and Ruth both did. Anyway. Um, we're going to uh, Jared's guest first, Cy Young. Uh, Damon played with Ricky Henderson on the 0-2 Sox. Tommy John, early win. So that's your three. Early win played on the 39 centers with Bud Thomas, who played with Altro- Nick Altrock, we, whom we've just met, who played on the 1903 Boston Americans with Cy Young, and that's six degrees with Johnny Damon. Nice. Very, very good, Jared. Uh, the Great Bambino. Uh, Johnny Taman played with Juan Samuel on the 1995 Royals. He played with Tug McGraw wow. on the 83 Phillies. Played with Yogi Berra on the 65 Mets. Who played with Red Ruffing on the 46 Yankees, who was teammates with Babe Ruth in 33. That's five. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Bobby, you are seven away from the danger zone. And, Bobby, you have the first guess in round six. God, who goes back there? I don't know, man. I don't know when he played. I honestly think that this is this is later than I'd like to think. Ty Cobb? Tyrus That's Cobb. Nice. Yeah, same era. Yeah, he retired in 1928, so you never yeah. know. You might get something there. Okay. Jared, who are you thinking? I'm going the former all-time single-season hits king. George Sisler. I have no idea. Again, like this is we're now just going back so far. Like I <laughs> he, he could have played before those guys. He could have played at the same time. Actually, after, Sisler Sisler retired before uh, after Cobb. Oh wow. So Johnny Damon played with Juan Samuel on the ninety-five Royals, who played with Steve Carlton on the eighty-four Phillies, that's two. Who played with Kurt Simmons on the sixty-six Cardinals for three. Played on the 47 Phillies with Raleigh Helmsley, Hemsley, who played on the 1934 St. Louis Browns, the predecessor of the Orioles, Charlie O'Leary, who was teammates on the 1911 Tigers with Ty Cobb. You're treading water, Bobby. That's six degrees. Nailed it. Meanwhile, to get to George Sisler, Johnny Damon played with Hal Morris on the 98 Royals, Teammates with Tommy John on the 89 Yankees. Teammates with Early Wynn on the 63 Indians. Teammates with Sam West on the 39 Senators. That's four. Who was a teammate on the 28 Senators with George Sisler. Oh. We are tied at minus 13. 
Good God. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Jared, you go first this round. Yeah, yeah. Let me try... Um... I think this is a guy. <laughs> I could be getting the name wrong, but I'm gonna risk it anyway. Now, if I get the name wrong, it's just a. It's a, if if this is like not a major league player, it's it's just a minus six, and that's it. Uh, I haven't thought of that. Okay, um, well, I'll I'll give you a bonus strike. I'll give you each a strike to get a name wrong. Okay. How about Frank Chance? What? <laughs> that's oh yeah, not a player. And it can't oh, be a player. Hundred percent is a real player. He is part of the most famed double play combo in Major League history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I knew his last name. I wasn't sure about the first name. Uh, you really took, you really yeah, took no. a chance on that one. Oh! <laughs> we got a dad on our hands. <laughs> oh, man. But that is a correct player, and I, I was thinking of him, actually. Great minds again. Yeah, very well done. Very well done. I appreciate it. I'm trying to go back, man. I don't. I have never. There's a guy that I I can't think of his name, but I know he played in the 19th century, and I know he had like, and I'm probably gonna give this away to Jared. He had three names. There's a. I I think I was thinking of that guy previously. And I can't. I can't. I can't think of his name. So I. How about the great, the shoeless. Joe Jackson. Mm, good one, good one. That's a great one because he got thrown out of baseball in, the ni- in 1920. Well done. Uh, okay. We, we are really cooking in fire now. Um, Johnny Damon was teammates on the 05 Red Sox with David Wells, who was, uh, who was teammates on the 87 Blue Jays with Phil Necro for two, who was teammates on the 64 Milwaukee Braves with Warren Spahn. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that that was an early win because you've had you've yep. run through all of yours with early win. <laughs> um, so for four, Johnny Cooney played with Warren Spahn in the '42 Braves, who played with Johnny Evers on the 1929 Braves. There it is. There and it is. There's your teammate with Frank Chance. That's six. Nice, nice. Um, okay, and now we go to the shoeless one, Johnny Damon. Juan, Marish, Juan Samuel in the 95 Royals to Tug McGraw in the 84 Phillies. Yogi Berra in the 65 Mets. Red Ruffing, 46 Yankees. Steve O'Neill, I don't know if he's there related to Paul, whose teammates on the, the 1924 Boston Red Sox, who played on the 1912 Cleveland Naps with Shoeless Joe. That's six. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. We got it. What, what are we at right now? What's the score? Tied at minus 13. Yeah, I don't know that we're going to get to minus 20. I don't know now. we're going to get to 20. Uh, okay, so we'll just say next guy who blinks loses. Mm-hmm. Don't get a negative. Yep, yep. Okay. You know, it's funny because I, I, I said Ken Griffey Sr. And I was like, that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> <And> now, <laughs> now did you know? Going back as far as I can right now. God. I read a book about this 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 kid, but I think I can't. I don't know if it was World War Two or World War One, and I okay. just can't remember. That's a big difference. That's a difference of thirty years. I know. I know. That's two degrees at least. I think. Oh, God. He was the youngest guy, I think, to ever pitch in the big leagues. But mm. I don't think, I think he was World War II. 
Or maybe this kid was 15? Oh, he was 15. Yeah, yeah, he was 15. I think, I, I think he's 15, Bobby. Do, so the question is, what war was that? Do you, do you know, Jared? I think I have a good idea. And I feel like you think it's World War II, and so I'm not going to touch that. Safe move. <sighs> but it would be cool to just throw his name out here. Just for the, just just for the casual name it. drop. Yeah. Casual just for the casual name drop. Um, I think it's World War II. How about Joe Nuxall? Yep, that's it. Wow. Oh, uh, he retired in 1966. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jared? Okay, How, I think this is the guy that Bobby was thinking of. That's why I'll throw his name out here. Was it Wee Willie Keeler? That one. I kept thinking Pee Wee Herman, and I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> he played on the old Orioles. <laughs> And he was one of the names I was going to throw out there. Um, Jared, you're going to take that one on this. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah, um, Damon played with Tom Browning, who played with Pete Rose, who played with Joe Nuxhall. Wow. That's three, so that's minus three. And Willie Keeler is a sixer. Uh, Johnny Damon to Ron Gant on the 2001 A's with Phil Necro, Warren Spahn, Ernie Lombardi in 1942. Lombo. Jack Quinn on the 31 Robins, who played with Wee Willie Keeler in 1909 on the New York Highlanders. Four runners to the New York Yankees. Yep. Well, I guess this championship goes to Jared. Yeah, you know, if that was you well would, fought. It was. It was. Uh, the odds, the money line, and Wee Willie Keeler's name ever coming up on this podcast was like plus 10,000. And so if you bet that, congrats. <laughs> you um, deserve it. Unbelievable. I like now want to go study every old player as far back as I can go in case this quiz comes back or or the reverse and this quiz yep. comes back and there's somebody from like the mid 19th century and we're like, all right, how far, how far do yeah. we go? Ken Burns in- baseball, watch it. You will, you will enjoy it and you will learn many of these players' names. Quizmaster, thank you for stretching the boundaries of anyone's baseball knowledge this was hilarious and a blast so thank you (laughs) thank you so much guys this is awesome i'm exhausted jared i feel like we have talked about 19th century baseball and the entire history of baseball we have gone through all the hot topics justin toscano was fantastic what an episode right Yes, 19th century baseball is the hottest thing out there right now. I'm glad we covered it. I hope it did a good enough job in my audition to stay on this podcast uh, that you don't replace me with somebody else. But nonetheless, I am sincerely grateful for you giving me the opportunity. Next week, another action-packed episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Tune in to the next one. It's going to be great. Thanks again to the quiz master, the master of all quizzes, for putting together another super fun trivia edition and of course, thanks to Justin Toscano for joining us to talk some hot stove. You can find him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano, and you can find his work for the record at NorthJersey.com. And like I said, if you're a Mets fan, it is an absolute must follow. I've earned my place. Jared, thank you for giving me the opportunity. So therefore, we will see you all next week with me and Jared on the next Chatter Up.